0: Okay, I believe we're live now. This is the fifth episode, and we'll let Ken start this one off. He's had quite an interesting time. He was on the kill stream uh, last Monday, I believe, or this past Monday, and he had something else you want to talk about. What was it, uh, Ken? Well, for one, um, yeah, this is Indie Rock Dinosaur, and you know,
1: I was. Thinking back to my days in private Jewish school and how my science teacher was from somewhere about down south. So she used to teach us about dinosaurs. So maybe you should call this indie rock Dino Sour. You know, just a thought. I'm uh, not too, I don't like that pronunciation. <laughs> Fine. Uh, that's just a distinct memory I have from private Jewish school. Dinosaurs. Of hours. So, anyhow, tonight we have uh, a man I consider the premier researcher uh, of Alistair Crowley, amongst many, many other things. You know, when I listen to William Ramsey's shows, I just shake my head like, how does he know so much about so much? Because I'm the kind of guy that specializes in certain little bits and pieces of stuff, and I try to know what I'm talking about when, within little uh, subjects here and there. But uh, yeah, William, I've been really impressed by the shows you c- you continue churning out, as well as uh, the books. So we're going to be discussing um, Hollywood influences, uh, occult symbolism, how it affects us, how to deal with it, really, how to just kind of trudge through what um, I've been known to term uh, poop... Uh, cu- poop culture right? Just streaming together, uh, pop culture, poop, and occult. And um, in that regard, recently I've been watching a new show called Raised by Wolves, and I've been reading, uh, I've been writing reviews of it, episode by episode. So I thought to, to mention a few things about it, because uh, I found it very interesting on various levels. Uh, The show is uh, a sci-fi show. It's set in the future where the earth has been destroyed due to a battle between two opposing forces, which are on the one hand, atheists, and on the other hand, Mithraists. Okay. You guys um, recognize the term Mithraism? Mithraists. Okay. So it's a very obscure thing, right? I mean you know, it's very rare that anybody ever brings up Mithraism. And most people nowadays have probably heard about it from watching that uh, fakeumentary zeitgeist, right, where where they claimed that Jesus is a pagan copycat, uh, partly based on the character of Mithras, who had basically a cult that sprang up and... 1st to 4th centuries A.D., right? And they claimed, well, Mithras had 12 disciples. He was born of a virgin. He was resurrected, this and that and the other. And Jesus was just modeled after that. But when serious research got to work, it's basically the other way around. (laughs) First of all, almost none of the things that were supposed to correlate correlate. For example, Mithras was supposedly born out of a rock. Now, okay, I guess you could... Claim that a rock is a version, but you know, doesn't really quite have the same connotation. And so, it's fascinating that this show foresees a future where the two main uh, forces, the influences, the world views are atheism and a, a counterfeit of Christianity. It's really, really interesting, and maybe not surprising that uh, the production company behind it is. Um, Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott, who was behind Alien and many other movies, uh, he actually directed the first two episodes. and He himself is an atheist, so it's kind of really interesting to see how they're handling this world, these worldviews. And sometimes it's pretty evident to me that they're using Mithraism really just as a way to bash Christianity in disguise. Um, it was also peppered, as it were, with a lot of symbolism. For example, there's tons of uh, pentagrams, pentacles, and pentagons all over the place, including what they called the up pentagonal prophecy. And here we're showing an image where the um, artificial intelligence, the android called Lamia, and also known as Mother, who serves a function of being a necromancer, by the way which basically means she can transform into a weapon of mass destruction. She's literally murdered thousands of people. And there she is standing in a Mithra version of a Zodiac. And I'm starting to see her as a symbol or a stand-in or an archetype for the Gnostic Sophia. For instance, right there on the, in the middle of that Mithra Zodiac, she ends up making love to her creator uh, the one who programmed her. Actually, that's one of the tricky parts that she calls him the creator, but he's actually a human atheist who found her and reprogrammed her. So it's one of those tricky things. It's kind of like, uh, you can't call him a creator. He didn't create, he just reprogrammed. But anyhow, she makes love to him right there in the center of that. Um, so you could see the, Masculine and feminine, you know the chemical wedding, right there. Fortunately, the show has no nudity, so it's it's comfortable to watch it. Um, unlike so very many other shows today that are just unwatchable. If you have any decency left? And so, I'll show the uh, the the uh, Mason image. Okay, this is one that I caught uh, on the show. i am it's kind of interesting to see how they uh they're making one of the atheist characters developing an interest in Mithraism and then they're showing a Mithra's child developing an interest Hi. in atheism. you know it's kind of interesting as far as character development and how they're kind of uh dealing with issues of worldviews and theology and uh, also high tech. Right, Because you have androids running around doing stuff That could be Programmed that and reprogrammed one. Okay, so there, if you notice um, The hand There, you see the back of the hand That Mithraist Woman clergy member And on her hand, she has a symbol Tattooed of a Freemasonic square and compass By the way I'm drinking out of my uh, little mason jar So you know, it's kind of like people like us. We watch this stuff and catch a lot of things. Um, i to just point out that if you look at the traditional square and compass, we're told by masons that they'll originally be told that you'll find within that square and compass refers to geometry, right? But as we know about masons, the Blue Lodge, which is the first three levels are purposefully deceived by the Masons above them so that they end of finding out uh, G actually refers to generative, generation as in birth, as in the sexual act that produces life, right? So we'll love the uh, Rune one now because I realized that I definitely believe that G stands for, oh. looked at the, uh, the Rune for fertility. And it's, it's basically, uh, the square and compass is basically just a horizontal version of this rune for fertility. So the show is new, and it's still ongoing, writing about it. You see that? It's put it horizontally, and then it, it's basically the square and compass. I'm sure that's where they got it, and it means fertility, and the masons use it to mean generative, or generative. Producing life. So anyhow, that's one of the things we're dealing with nowadays is these, I was going to say TV show, but I guess that would date me, right? I'm supposed to say like a Wi-Fi streaming uh,
2: show, right? <laughs> to get up to date. <laughs> you can't call it a TV anymore because most yeah. people are watching these on their cell phones. Yeah. So and even like- TVs.
1: TVs are just large nowadays anyway. So um, this is one of the things we're dealing with, is we're being uh, confronted by shows and movies and even music videos that are just sort of jam-packed with symbolism. And even those that don't contain symbolism that, to me, is just as obvious as pentagrams and uh, square encompasses and, and much more, they're still based on a worldview. And it's the worldview that's uh, behind what you're seeing on your screen. And we're not a culture that sits around campfires hearing great tales of uh, ethics and adventure and myth and legend, right? We sit around the glowing lights of our TV sets and computers and phones. And that's where we get our philosophy, our our worldview, our ethics, and our our heroes, right? I mean, look at the proliferation of superhero movies. Uh, They're basically neo-high-tech gods.
2: Titans, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we're uh, considering tonight is um, just kind of how do we deal with that on various levels? How do we deal with it intellectually, societally, spiritually? And one thing I noticed, for instance, today, um, I was watching a movie, and all of a sudden, somebody started making a comment that was relatively not related to the plot. And I thought, okay, well, that's the sort of thing. That's one way you can identify when something's propaganda, when some, a a character suddenly says something that seems like it could have been deleted because it has no real relevance. That's usually when you can tell that's something that was inserted to make a point. Right. And so if you're not vigilant about that stuff, you will tend to just kind of, take it in almost subconsciously and not notice it, not, not wrestle with it, especially if you're the kind of person who says, ah, it's just a movie, it's just a show, it's just, it's just, it's just. Sure, somebody put millions of dollars behind developing it and, um, and having it out there, but it's meaningless. Right, okay. So with that, um, either Zach or William, just um, take it from there and off we go.
0: Yeah, William, I guess, will be the one to take it, because I brought his book up here. But he is a person who's investigated this type of thing from every angle. And we've talked about this with him on uh, previous streams, Ken being on William's podcast. And uh, either one or two times, William jumped in my um, the other show I do, The Quiet Place, and... One topic that has always brought up a lot of debate, especially with within the quiet place, not uh, even when William's not there, it's a thing that I've had to you know talk about quite a bit, is what's the extent of the symbolism and the hidden occult things? Like what do they actually do to uh, people aside from societal uh, programming? So that's what we pretty much the main topic we wanted William to get into today.
2: Yeah, I would say that at least, you know, in the the latter part of the 20th century to the present day, I would say that there's a lot of programming and they're revealing their hands through a variety of different directors and films. And uh, I think that some of there's a wink and a nod to people in the know. And it probably would be surprising to a lot of people. That they've been exposed to occult symbols and concepts, and uh, not really grasp it, not grasp the totality. So, I mean, I, I can I can cite so many films that are part of you know our our cultural parlance that that have been ingested into the kind of psychosphere. So, I think it's very important, especially with the kind of potency and prevalence of film, how how significant it is as a medium more so than books maybe podcast is similar but it's just a, not as visual but uh yeah i think it's very profound profound influence and i think some of the films that you've watched maybe like fight club which i did in this film right here called hollywood it's shocking how much symbolism is in there smiley faces that i've covered in detail <laughs> uh numerology all kinds of hand signals occult concepts, even, yeah, it's, and even Tyler Durden himself is a figure, like a magical figure, much like Harry Potter. And uh, that's why his name is a five and a six. And uh, yeah, so I think, uh, I think people are really being exposed to it, And the insiders know what they're being exposed to where people who are not initiated or haven't had that interest in the occult or secret societies just aren't aware of it
0: yeah the one thing that i think is true is you can kind of turn it off like if you're familiar with what's going on you can have that layer be in the back of your mind but still realize that it's a story and that it doesn't affect you but you look at just the progression from when hollywood started to where we are as a society now and the impact that you know hollywood's had has obviously been detrimental as you know the u.s multiple cities are just erupting in flames and the media can basically press a button and everyone will go riot and whatnot like we've gotten there plus i mean other you know societal impacts that um you know have been pushed through the media like people will pretty much be talking in regular conversation and say things that people who, you know, if they weren't exposed to that media, they wouldn't have those talking points. And, I mean, lo and behold, those talking points didn't exist before Hollywood. And, you know, now it's like it's attacking society from every angle, from really weird types of feminism to a lot of kind of, I guess you would say, liberation uh, philosophy, where everyone wants to be liberated and that shows up in uh, films quite a bit. So there's obviously a societal programming aspect that does work. Is there anything else that movies do like the the one thing i get thrown my way a lot when i talk about this is that we bring it up and we're acting like you can watch a movie and a demon is going to like jump out of the movie and Uh, possess you or something. Uh, I I don't necessarily believe that, but in certain instances, that seems to be similar to the case just on the programming level alone. Like, is it just programming or is it something else?
1: Well, you know, one interesting thing is you actually see that depicted in many movies, such as in The Mouth of Madness or The Blob, even, where or It, uh, where the monster, the creature literally out through the cinema screen at the audience and wreaked havoc or the TV screen or whatever they're watching. So they're definitely trying to tell us something about the impact that supposed fiction is going to have on the real world. Yeah. It reminds me
0: of Dario Argento. If y'all are familiar with his old, uh, Italian horror movies, but one of the reasons he filmed Suspiria, I think that's what it was in the, uh, Town that he did in was because there were a for, for some reason a large number of practicing Satanists in the town, and for whatever reason that made him want to film the movie there. Then another movie he has it, it was either demons or not of the demons. I get a lot of these the Italian ones have weird uh, re-releases <laughs> where things change, but it's you know literally about what you just described demons uh, wreaking havoc in a movie theater. So he's one you know where that same thing plays out. And, you know, a topic I have dug into, and maybe it's because of my Lutheranism, but there seems to be a dichotomy to how Catholics view the demon thing and how everyone else does, whereas Catholics will have very elaborate long exorcisms with uh, all kinds of rituals and rites or whatnot, whereas the you know, the rest of Christianity pretty much holds that uh, you know just Jesus's name alone is kind of like authority over the demons, and so I guess some I'm somewhat preconditioned to think that um, some people blow the demon thing a little bit out of the water, but it's like they obviously want to impart that message
2: to us. That yeah, I think William
1: was William was imparting the message that he has a
2: familiar. <laughs> Well, my my cat just knows when I'm stuck in a chair, and he comes. He puts his head on my. He is expecting to be petted, so then he walks away, and then he did bounces and barges into me again. So it's been a it's been a repeated problem. In a reason. He has like a definitely seven cents or something, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think don't you think that? I mean, you want to talk about. You can talk about the book that The Exorcist was based on. It was Possessed. It was actually a true story and involved Catholic priest and a kid who was literally like playing with a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. And then and I'd actually uh, the one I think my mom's friend knew the guy who was the actual uh, Jesuit priest who did the exorcism on the kid. So Whoa, that was based upon yeah yeah. So look up Possessed, and that was the book that Blatty. Uh, based the exorcist on it's pretty interesting so some of these things come out of like true true tales that's you know all of these different uh jesuit priests attested to this weird phenomenon with this kid and what he was actually what the kid was doing was using the uh ouija board to try to find money that had been lost so he was asking like his aunt had passed away or something so he's trying to con supposedly contact her and find out where she left her money but uh Yeah. So I think I do think that there's definitely a social engineering problem, kind of like a Fabian long term social change mechanism that went through Hollywood for sure and got darker and darker and certain dark elements all the way. Even though, you know, you can talk about Asia Argento, Argento's daughter with she was one of the first Weinstein accusers and, you know, uh, Anthony Bourdain's suspicious death, very suspicious death. And but uh, I do think that you know there's there there was leading up I think the occult Hollywood element is definitely uh, that that way kind of like a progressive even all the way to cuties which is a shocker that that's even on the number one streaming sir I mean it's li- illegal I'm surprised that those people aren't being arrested but uh, I think it's all led up to things like that and. Um, I mean, I think like if you look at one of the early guys in film, if you look at uh, Kenneth Anger, he basically said he was creating a magic spell through his films, and I think a lot of these other directors, if you really talk to them, uh, they know that they're doing something very powerful to uh, a human mind that is in a, you know, kind of a a captive state. So I think that that's the nature of the media as well, not just about the. The long term agendas.
0: Yeah. Some of the, you know, the, the kind of definitions that people will throw out there for spills and whatnot. Like the one I've seen the most is that what they're doing is setting up kind of like a, ling- uh, a linguistic paradox to get people thinking in kind of like a wrong, obviously occultic, uh, just satanic or Gnostic way you know, when when they don't know it. Like, it's still at that programming level, but they're kind of tricked into a mindset. Like, for instance, and Ken knows all about this. Yeah,
2: 2001 is a great example. 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think, is a perfect example of Gnosticism and evolution, but definitely programming people with that kind of worldview.
0: Yeah, and I I was going to say it also, because uh, Ken has written quite a bit about that novel and uh, resulting franchise that, you know, I had never understood that there was this, you know, very uh, concrete Gnostic sort of, uh, I don't really know what you would call it, but just undercurrent to that story. Can you talk about that a little, Ken?
1: I'll force myself to talk a little because uh, there's so much in that novel that it's almost overwhelming to think about it. Number of uh, esoteric elements. There's numerology, and, and I don't mean numerology because I think there's numerology in there. There's numerology because the book itself puts thinking in terms of numerology into the mouth of the character it. Right, and there's definitely Gnosticism, no question about it. There's There's the concept of that the creature it uh, Who incidentally is essentially a a styled alien who felt the earth right as uh, Jesus watched Satan fall to earth as lightning It particularly enjoyed what it found here on earth, which was imagination And so it could manifest as whatever scared you the most and this would cause biological reactions in you so that your blood would taste better to it. Okay, so now you're you're basically looking at a form of the concept of adrenal chrome. It's, it's very clear that, uh, that that's what it seeks, is to frighten its um, prey so that it'll have, um, so that the fear will release certain biochemicals and it likes the taste of those better. And so, yeah, it's uh, saturated in all kinds of mysticism, symbolism. And also Stephen King talks about how he wrote wrote it during a period in his life where he was basically getting so uh, high on cocaine and drunk that he does not even remember writing a lot of it.
0: Yeah, and may have had a little
1: DMT in his system as well. And, you know, it speaks to being open to uh, influences, right? Demonic influences. You're you're out of your mind. You're pounding out this stuff uh, to the point where he, when he's asked if he might ever do some kind of sequel to it, he says, no, because that character is too scary even for me, you know? And I mean, imagine what that must be like to complete a novel and then have to read it just to find out what's in there. Now. I will grant you, there's some of my books I would like to read, because just the level of detail you get into when you're writing nonfiction that's research-based, for me, afterwards, I can't retain all of those details. I can retain the big picture stuff, but not all the details. But to have to read it just to see what's in there, (laughs) and to say, wow, I don't remember writing that, I mean, it's it's something else. Yeah, it's really something else.
0: So... I guess going back to, like, the main gist of what I wanted to talk about, the concept of a spell or something working, because, I mean, obviously the people who are creating these things are, like, adamantly anti-Christian. Are they able to actually do anything that harms someone at, like, the type of level you would think of, like, you know, in a cartoon with a wizard casting a spell and then someone turns into a frog or something like obviously it's not that uh visual or blatant but is there something other than what i said before this kind of philosophical linguistic kind of like mental cage that they're putting around you but is still ultimately mental like is there something else at play or have you looked into any of
2: I would, say, I would say absolutely there would be. I think that if you look at how much culture has been created from individual movies or anything, I think they know that they're creating it. I mean, if you look at Star Wars or something like that, the merchandise and the, the marketing of all those figurines and toys was an essential part. And so uh, even me as a boy is taking part in this larger story, acting through these people. So I think they know... Uh, the potency of uh, some of these people. And you know, this book that always pops up with all these guys that have influenced them is uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces. And so you'd see these archetypes and things. And I think so I think some aren't as pernicious as others, but if you want to get into the occult aspect, I think you know some of these directors or some of these people are definitely trying to romanticize occultism or left-hand pathism in general, which... So many show new shows about young witches, girls, and stuff like that. So, I think that uh, definitely the spell element is uh, is 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 definitely I think important. And I, I just read a book by Jason Horsley who likens the movie theater to the sleep room of MK Ultra, where you literally have somebody and you can pump in audio, sight, at the same time. You know, in a vulnerable state. So. I think there's
1: definitely. Sorry, interesting you say that because in that book right there, the book about it, I talked about the allegory of the cave by Plato and how movie theater is basically the characters in the allegory of the cave, all looking at images, thinking it's uh, somewhat akin to real life, right? Right. And so the thing is that uh, I would look at it as. a sort of art of war phenomena where what's happening is coming at us from multiple directions right so you can start in a very mundane level and talk about how if any of us were to make movies like william makes documentaries of course there's a real life view behind it even if what you're producing at the end is called fiction and so it, there's a psychological impact right there's a philosophical impact There could be a theological impact, and then there could be a mystical impacts. Um, I was just I'm slowly doing research for my next book, which is going to be about alien and UFO themes in movies, and I'm reaching uh, reading about Richard Stanley, who directed The Color from uh, Space, um, based on the H.P. Lovecraft movie, and he's talking about how before and Throughout the filming of that movie, they were performing rituals. And actually, you see in the the beginning of the movie is a ritual. It's literally a witch doing rituals. But he was saying that they were doing that for real during the filming of the movie. No no surprise Nicolas Cage was involved because he's all about that neo-shamanic form of acting where... What he said is he, and acting is lying, right? He doesn't want to lie anymore, so it's a styled form of possession, which I know, William, you know very much. Alistair Crowley talked about that, that one of the best ways to get possessed is to be an actor.
0: (laughs) I've never heard that one before, but I know for sure just being involved with uh, horror fiction communities, the people who are hardcore Lovecraft freaks, they don't just look at his um, fiction as uh, fiction. They actually think he is on to like, philosophical and theological truths. Not that they believe he was writing about actual entities, per se, but they believe straight up that he was right in the concept of you know, a Gnostic chaos deity, So they might not believe in Cthulhu and they'll say that that's just fiction, which is the fiction that they based literally their worldview on, But they will say they believe in basically chaos as a somewhat sentient and, you know, of course, exactly relating to the Gnostic uh, false version of God uh, concept. So it's funny how... Even ardent atheists can be influenced by the stories they read.
1: To... Because all that stuff is ultimately nihilistic. It's, right. It's, yeah, that's a good point. It's confronting something that is other, and so overwhelmingly over uh, powerful that in the face of it, a mere human is literally nothing. And yeah. so, if if you're a nihilist, then you know you're facing death, for instance. And there you go. That's that's the end of it. So you can car- uh, caricaturize death in any way you want. Like the, the uh, creatures from out of Lovecraft or call them aliens, call them it, call it whatever you want. There's this overwhelming uh, force that's against you. And there's literally nothing you can do about it but maybe attempt to survive another day or two.
2: <laughs> right. If Eventually, you don't go insane, end, right? right? Right. If you don't go insane. So there's always that Yeah. Of, like. Trauma, psychological madness. Yeah. So, for instance,
1: I've talked uh, quite a few times about the the comedy show Seinfeld, right? Which has always been said to be a show about nothing. And then one day I thought to myself, "Well, what does that even mean? Because many shows like that are about nothing, especially sitcoms. So then I realized, well, they're telling us it's about nothing. Nihil, Nihil nihilism. That's what it means. It means nothing. And so, what is the show about? with a bunch of characters that don't really believe in anything, um, transcendental. So what do they do? Well, they busy their days in getting involved in a whole bunch of uh, drama that's really meaningless, but it gives their life momentary meaning. And that's what I've said about atheism many times, is that it gives one the consoling delusion of subjective meaning in an objectively meaningless existence, right? So that's what it's about. That's why it's basically about jumping from one relationship to the other and getting involved in bickering about the, uh, as one of the characters Elaine put it, the excruciating minutiae of every single daily event. Those things give you this temporary meaning. Even with what we see going on in culture so much with the 24-hour news cycle and the, the need to have us constantly involved in dramas and traumas and tragedies and, oh, look what happened and look what so-and-so said and get involved and talk about this. And, uh, you know, you have to wrap your life around uh, this cycle of of constant tension and anxiety and worry and stress because at least it gives you something to to go on, right? I mean, I've known people like this. I call them drama addicts. If If there's no problems going on, they will manufacture one. Just to have something to busy themselves with. Yes. Yeah, it's the all day.
0: because they're getting away from that meta narrative. They think they have to have a bunch of short term meanings, but the fact that there's, you know, they're not placing their life or they're directly taking themselves out of the true meta-narrative that we would, you know, be constant as in God created everything, you know, for a good purpose. And taking place in that purpose is the only thing that makes what you do mean anything and you know once they take themselves out of that willingly they literally just go crazy and like you know as you said they have to have a bunch of short-term um you know admittedly sort of uh physical sensations because you know they're just getting uh dopamine or whatever from the drama and it's really sad to watch it but it's really annoying when they try to turn that into a lifestyle or into like, you know, a theological system that always centers around some kind of devil worship. Although they won't say that, you know, they'll always frame it in kind of like a, uh, you know, they'll put it in like a Gnostic frame that makes it more intelligent seeming to where they just believe in one type of divinity, et cetera, et cetera. But it's always funny how it really is just that kind of cheesy uh, horror movie devil worship thing, no matter what dress they try to put on it.
1: Interesting. There's also yeah. concepts uh, in scholarly literature of something that's known as normative fiction. So the, the point there is that something is attempting to be normalized, right, through fiction. So that fiction is a vehicle whereby to seek to create societal change. That's a very well-known category of, uh, of writing. Whether you're being influenced by the CIA or you're just taking it upon yourself, you're writing fiction um, or producing fictional movies that are meant to make something normal. And I mean, how many examples do we see that, of that today? Right. Um, I'm tempted to, to mention one, but who knows when our, our, our video will get blocked for mentioning a certain things. Right. Uh, but then tied to that, I think, is another concept, which is predictive programming. So here you're letting people know something that's uh, literally occult as it hidden. And you know about it and you and your uppity-up cohorts know about it. And so you're releasing that, you know, and and people say it's just a movie. And the next thing you know, it's, well, here it is in real life. Uh, How many things are we seeing today that go back even one year, much less five or ten? And people would have said, there's no way that'll ever happen. There's that you're insane for even thinking about it. And today it's like, there it is in the headlines. It's happening right here and now. So predictive programming would be more like some people call it telegraphing punches, right? Like here's what's coming, here's what's coming. Now whether they're telling us for good or ill, whether they're warning us, whether they're just shoving it in our faces, or whether there's some kind of occult thing about the the revelation of the method where they're they're letting you know openly, here's what we're doing. Yeah, here's here's what's going on.
2: Right, or these are the steps that are going to happen in the future. We want them to be so. There's all that, so much stuff like that, um, in films, whether normalizing UFO relationships, or because uh, I think that's the way they want to. That's where they want to head, you know. So I think uh, that's really an inc- It's an incredibly powerful medium, filmmaker. So, and the other thing you can talk about the CIA's influence in Hollywood, how many themes they want to get across. And uh, like one of the perfect examples is the timing of the film Pearl Harbor that gets released just as 9-11 happens, right? I think the release date was sometime in 2001. And it's just like perfect timing. That was sponsored by the CIA as far as I know.
1: Oh, well, you know, one reason um, I laughed when William mentioned uh, Fight Club and the uh, smiley face symbolism in there. I forgot to mention in, in the movie It and the novel, there is a smiley face. That's right. And you know, this is one of the things about William is I'm sitting there minding my business, living my life. And all of a sudden he turns me on to the idea that there's an occult meaning to the smiley face. And now years later, how many screenshots have I sent you? <laughs> yeah, it's over a hundred.
2: It's uh, every sufficient. time. It's yeah. Movies. Yeah.
1: Now every time I watch a movie, I'm like, oh, okay. There's another one. In fact, I found one yesterday. I was watching uh, the New Mutants, and so I'm going to be sending you some more. Uh, yeah. So you know, you got to watch out when you're dealing with William, because <laughs> well, he'll I'd turn see. you on to stuff that'll take over your
2: life. Yeah, well, that's a perfect example of the occultism, is that they're signaling to the people with the insider knowledge, and the other people don't. I mean, the Smiley Face is in Fight Club, it's in Natural Born Killers, it's all over the place, man. That's incredible. Yeah,
0: I've noticed some crazy stuff, and this is kind of embarrassing, but uh, I've always been a gigantic Scooby-Doo fan, and so I was watching the new Scooby-Doo Mystery Inc., like all of it, and in an episode before the election, they're at this, uh, swamp town, and they randomly say, I forgot where the number came from, but the, uh, the villains in this town are all, like, alligator people from the swamp or something, and they say number 45 is gonna drain the swamp, and this is, like, way before all of that, you know, rhetoric started, and it just stuck out to me so far. Are so hard. And there are other ones like that show is like kind of like filled with it. Even with uh, Zachariah Sitchin, his name gets brought up a lot and there's a whole uh, really? ancient aliens aspect right. to this uh, Scooby-Doo show. Uh, it's just, it's weird watching stuff like that play out even in a kid's show. They wouldn't have gotten away with it
2: if it wasn't for you. Meddling some kids.
0: There you go. Meddling kids.
2: Yeah. Meddling kids. <laughs> So I yeah, mean, so we're drowned, we're definitely like drowning in all this stuff. That's just on so many different levels what your kids are being exposed to, what you've been exposed to, what shaped the culture.
0: Yeah, and I, I think honestly the, the saddest part of it all is that you know, the more secularized we become, the more of that really is where people look to get their spiritual meaning. Yes oddly, I mean, I I don't get why they would, but they do. They will be looking to, you know, if someone's looking to Avengers and other type of Marvel things to get morals about their life, it's like they're already so gone. But yet, that is such... I mean, it's almost become a meme. People getting spiritual insight from the Avengers and uh, specifically Star Wars, which, you know, you all have talked about a lot. And more than anything it's very depressing it's like church culture in america just completely died everyone has the same kind of media thing to go along with and i've not looked at the statistics i mean church attendance overall is pretty negligible among people my age and younger but they've all throughout their whole life been sat in front of a tv and you know pumped full of this stuff and it's kind of funny because it seems like all of it really started in the 60s with the kind of revolutionary uh, mindset where, you know, the academy actually paid attention to the student protesters. And now we live in like a kind of like a protesting uh, culture. It's like there's always yeah. some sort of a protest riot going on. Right. Do you think there's anything special about the ones we've been seeing recently? Or do you think they're just like little short term blips that, yeah, they mean stuff that will go away after the election? Or like, you think, think so. any of it's actually building up to something? What do you think? I
2: don't know. I, You know, the, if you look at the times of revolutions or civil wars and well, things that lead up to them, this is like something where somebody's just throwing matches on it. To me, matches on a potential powder keg. So it's just going to take one thing and then. I don't see it stopping because I do believe that the there's significant people who, who want these protests to happen in these different cities and they're facilitating it. So, um, I don't see it going away and I don't see see it going away after the election. So,
1: um, let me take a step back. Just one step to read you, uh, A well-known poem that some anonymous person put out there about this stuff. Here, here, Here it reads thusly. You say they're only characters. You say they're not real. But where were you when I needed to grow? Where were you when I needed to believe? Where were you when I was dying? Who saved my life? Because it wasn't you. They're more than fiction. They were there for me, even if they weren't real. They were there when you weren't. They were more than you think they were. Or they're more than you think they are. So that's a very telling of a culture where families are broken down, so many of them, where You know, church attendance is seen just as a place you go and sit for one hour on Sunday, so that gets boring. And, well, you can pop in a (laughs) a movie about great myth and legend and action and heroes anytime you want, continuously. So you feel bad, pop one in. You know, you watch an action movie about superheroes, yeah, you start feeling great, right? And then there uh, is feeding into... Your, um, your drama, your psychology, what's been going on with you, your theology and everything, it's there. And you can turn it on and off anytime you want. Yeah, it's
0: really weird watching things get programmed and trend specifically. And this is one I'm not going to talk about much on here because I'm wanting, as I told you all before the show, to have eventually a debate with some uh, – or not a debate with me, but kind of moderate a debate between uh, – someone who's eastern orthodox and someone who is uh lutheran or perhaps reformed uh, is that you see things with a specific aesthetic that take off and we all know the vaporwave aesthetic heck my dang uh avatar that i have right on or right here is this vaporwave type thing but as ken knows that combination of vaporwave sort of uh more right wing politics and Eastern orthodoxy have kind of go, you know gone together hand in hand and now it's become its own sort of um i guess kind of subculture which you know makes me think it was uh, kind of engineered in some way I don't know by whom uh that would be for people with more knowledge than me but um just It's really weird watching it all happen because it all does, you know, obviously tie back into theology. And, you know, the one thing I always tell people if they're, you know, I've got several atheist friends is look into the um, trends related to theology that pop up and you'll see the kind of dichotomy emerge where it's always some sort of paganism versus like a one strong unified Christianity. And I mean, it, it just makes you realize that anything like manipulating aesthetic for like a, a philosophical or theological effect on the populace, it's always super, super shady. I mean,
1: as you all know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, for a very long time now, I've called atheism neo pagan right you you would think that physicalism, reductionism, materialism, naturalism, you'd think that it wouldn't be that, but it ultimately becomes that, if nothing else, then because you look to nature as your creator, that's what you brought you about right and so even if you get into um what some people call religions, what some people call philosophies or or what have you, even such as um Aspects of uh, Buddhism. Um, you don't necessarily have to be a, any kind of theist to be spiritual. I mean, all you have to do is say, well, I worship the, the earth or nature or the universe. Or even that you might even be able to have uh, some kind of spirit guide, perhaps. If, if uh, there, there's no real afterlife, but if a person has evolved enough to go beyond the physical I know that strict materialists probably wouldn't go there, but who said that they're the uh, orthodox atheists, right? Uh, there's a term I use called uh, dogmatheism. And so, yeah, and in a lot of ways, atheism can become neo-pagan in that way. That's why you see it manifesting in that way.
2: Right, yeah, so yeah. Evolution, uh, revolutionary evolution is basically a paganistic outlook, right? Random, nihilistic as well. So I think that those concepts kind of I would assume the default to being an atheist is evolution right we'll see now
1: um zach and i have watched our fair share of horror movies now tell me zachary in how many horror movies have you heard disparaging remarks about christianity oh a ton you can literally yeah yeah you know gigantic book with quotes i mean if if there's a christian character in a movie They'll either turn out to be uh, insane or some kind of abuser in various forms, right? Or really weak. And then God will be blamed for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ubiquitous. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it always gets, you know, pumped up in the media quite a bit. Like, a good one is fault in our stars. That one is seriously, seriously, like, disgustingly anti-Christian. And for a while, I mean, it was pretty much like the teen girl thing Where like every teen girl was obsessed with that book and with the movie. And of course, you know, guys were too, because they would have to go to the theater with the girl. But, you know, even my dang uncle was reading that book. And it's if something is seriously anti-Christian, it's going to be at the forefront of the populace
1: you know laughing because one time we went to the movies and there was a couple standing in front of us to buy their tickets and they were gonna go watch all the pretty horses so i told my wife yeah you know if you want a guy to go watch a movie you can't call it all the pretty horses and the guy turned around and looked at me like yeah i know and it turns out when they went to buy their ticket it was sold out so i told the young lady Gets credit, right? Because I mean, he came, he brought you to it, it just happens that he can't go watch it. Yeah,
0: I'm kind of surprised. The uh thing we were talking about before, um, uh, we went live came up in the chat. The Dugan thing, everyone else knows about this but me. Like, what is, what is the deal with Dugan? The guy Oswald Spengler said, uh, Can Amy reque- uh, request? Could you talk about? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's Alexander Dugan at some point. I'm assuming that's in reference to what I was talking about with the uh, vapor wave, uh Eastern Orthodox type thing. Can we
1: talk about Alexander? But Alexander's, that. Alexander Dugan? Sure, that'd be great. But I don't think that's what he means, right?
2: Oh, he wants you to talk about Alexander Dugan. I wish I could talk in great detail on the subject. I can't.
1: I mean, yeah, I know. Mean, i on the,
2: read his books.
1: I apologize, but I'm on the same boat as Zachary, so I guess we're going to have to get up to date with what's hit man. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I'm sorry. I, I, I keep seeing it brought up so much. I'm, I'm eventually just going to have to bite the bullet and do my he research.
2: Came, my understanding is he was kind of like a leading light theoretician of the alt right, the kind of Charlottesville torch carrying right. So, for one, you know, his ideas, what are they saying here? Fascistic, non-Eurasianism. So, I think uh, that's really, that was what really attracted him. Somebody who's kind of in the mold of Julius Evola, it seems like.
0: Yeah, there's something really weird and specific with it, because I've got a lot of uh, friends who run uh, around in the alt-right, and a lot lot of things I I respect with the alt-right, and some things I don't. but Even they are pretty anti Dugan. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely something to do with like a Russian angle to it. Dugan is the Russian sociologist, soci, I can't say that word, sociologist, Crowleyan black magician uh, masquerading as a Eurasianist Russian Orthodox. Where'd
1: you read Uh, that? Go ahead. uh, Zach Williams just wondering what you're from where you're reading that?
0: Oh, that was what uh, Oswald in the chat was saying. Oh. So yeah, I knew there was a connection to the the Orthodox thing that's become very popular now. But you
1: yeah, know what's interesting because he, uh, our our listener Oswald mentioned an article called "Why the Death of the R.B.G. Made Me Join the Satanic Temple." Now, what's interesting about the Satanic <laughs> Temple? is that it's very much like uh, Black Lives Matters, and I'm referring to the organization now, which is that they're just front groups and they're admitted front groups. They don't actually care about what they appear to be. So the Satanic Temple, I don't know what they do in private, but they claim that they're more about uh, political activism. And so, for instance, they will petition to be allowed to pray and uh, before government-related meetings and put up their signs next to the uh, the uh, nativity scenes during Christmas, not because that's really what they want, but because they want Christianity shut down. They're extremely open about that. It's just like Black oh. Lives Matters. They obviously yeah. don't believe all Black Lives Matters, or they would be uh, shutting down abortion clinics. They would be dealing with issues of black-on-black oh. black crime. They're not dealing with any of that because they're an admitted Marxist group and so it's like um you know let's say that there's a pack of dogs in the backyard and you need to get something from across the yard but you're in their way so you throw a piece of food they all run to it they're all fighting over it and you just walk over get what you need come on back and you're doing fine while they're over there t- tearing each other to shreds right that's exactly what's going on here
0: yeah it's really annoying it's even sort of been tearing uh well, I'm not going to say tearing the Lutheran church apart, but it's been annoying a lot of Lutherans where they're trying to do something like add systemic racism as a specific thing that has to be talked about in confessions and included in various creeds and, dog, uh, creeds and dogmas. And most people are just like, no, go away. But they're so freaking like, like you said, they just want to position themselves in Christianity and kind of take it over. It's really annoying.
1: Unfortunately, a lot of um, less Orthodox, and I don't mean uh, Greek Orthodox or Eastern Orthodox or Western Orthodox, just traditional uh, churches um, are becoming less and less so the more societal they come, they become, right? So they're, yeah. they're basically going to let society dictate what they're going to be preaching the next Sunday.
0: Yeah, it's freaking horrible. I know, uh, specifically, my I don't have dangerous hamster about. wheel. Yeah, I don't have anything to worry about with uh, whales, but uh, some of the more, I guess, liberal branches, they um I, I would be you know kind of scared sitting in the pews there because it's just a matter of time before it's taken over. It's it's insane and annoying. And I, you know, I've looked up to a lot of uh, I guess authority figures not that i've personally looked up to them but you know i keep expecting them you know if they're a big presence on the internet to say something and they just they will not go there and it drives me crazy because the more they refuse to go there the more these people get a foothold have you had to deal with anything like that uh william with um what is it i think
2: you're a presbyterian correct yeah, raised Catholic, Presbyterian, now. I, really cons- I really consider myself a Bible-believing Christian. I'd probably do okay in anybody, any church that kind of emphasizes that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I wouldn't say I'm super partisan, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just didn't but, know if they were having the same trouble that the uh, Lutherans yeah, are having with this specific topic.
2: I think all the churches are, don't you think? I mean, I think in the Presbyterian church, there's still scene or whatever that word is like people quakering and super liberal and people who want to stay conservative and how that affects what's being preached See, so
1: i mean there's kind of a fine line here because as the church as the body of christ we do need to be aware of what's going on in culture wherever our culture might be and we need to um prepare ourselves and each other on how to deal with issues. That's that's not, that's not the question, right? The question is, do we sacrifice our theology on the altar of whatever um, fallen, corrupt, uh, secular and pagan culture du jour is telling us to do today?
2: Never. <laughs> yeah, never. <laughs> it's a simple word, no. So... I mean, that's the, I mean, maybe that's the whole critique and criticism of the topic of our discussion and why it's just important to be aware and kind of hold your lamp up against all these falsities, even even ones that are even more subtle, the undercurrents like nihilism or evolution or things like that. So I think yeah, uh, I think that these just the understanding what we do and like like I like. Science fiction, so I still will watch the movies, but how much am I getting this imposition on? Like, even you, like you talked to Alien Predator, there's a pretty strong, you could almost call it Lovecraftian element there that there's an overpowering evil force that you can do nothing against.
0: Yeah, that's actually why I brought it up because I was uh, pretty soon gonna be uh, taking a deep dive into some of the uh, alien novels I've accumulated. They re uh, re released a bunch of them as like an omnibus. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to dig deep into those. But I want Ken, uh, Ken and you as well to give me a little bit of a taste of what I'm going to be in for as far as the things I'm going to be picking out in this universe. Because I've seen most of the movies, but I've never really picked up on anything as bad in these, which, I mean, you can argue that anything science fiction is going to be inherently set in a, a sort of atheistic universe. It's just how far they're willing to beat you over the head with that type of uh, philosophy, or if they're just going to tell a cool story with an alien or something. But right, right. How the intense point. is it in this franchise?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe uh, Ken can talk more about that. But if you look at the Prometheus movie, where there's a creation myth, where the guy like dies and seeds the seeds the ocean with his DNA or whatever. Yeah, and uh, you know, so. You're definitely getting something that, uh, you know, if you're a Christian, is a false false view of, of the cosmology.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of hardcore alien fans try to just forget that that movie exists and not include it as canon.
2: Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you talk about it. Ken, what are your thoughts about that?
1: That's actually funny because when I wrote this book, I included the crossover movies, right? The Alien and Predator crossover movies, and someone told me, "Well, those aren't canon." I was thinking, "I don't care. Who, who cares? You know, I, I, it's not my religion." Sorry to disappoint you, but uh, but um, you know, part of what we're dealing with. I'll kind of circle around to what you asked. Uh, Part of what we're dealing with is theological anthropology, if I may refer to it as such, because what we're looking at is that we're fallen beings and we have a natural propensity to rebel against God. And so when uh, a youngster is going through that period in their life where they're very emotional, very dramatic and very rebellious, And they're watching movie after movie after movie after movie that, uh, not only vaguely is anti-Christian or anti-biblical, I'm sorry, anti-God, but blatantly, (laughs) then it's just a case of, yeah, yeah. Back up here. You know, if, if uh, everyone involved in this movie with the million dollars that are behind it is putting this message across to me, then I'm um, being verified, right? Um, and and also to keep in mind that it's a, a sensory overload, right? You watch these movies, especially if you go to a theater. Again, the allegory of cave, or on Horsley's view, the <laughs> the MK Ultra ex- experiment, um, vivid imagery, right? With experts in um, cinematography and staging and lighting, and the sound and the music done again by experts and the whole scheme is made to just kind of overwhelm your senses. That's why the movie theater is especially beneficial because you're literally almost in a, in a chamber, right? You're not moving that much. You don't have to walk around. You don't have to do anything, but just stare (laughs) and everything's coming in. So I know that I've explained before where, um, I tend to watch movies with two brains, right? One of them is just enjoying the show for what it is because I want to take in what uh, the movie's telling me. So I don't get bothered about stuff like the plot doesn't really make sense or it's a sci-fi movie where a steam-powered engine gets a rocket to the moon. What do I care if that's not realistic? That's, it's just a story. But then there's the other side of me, uh, dissecting, discerning, thinking the whole entire time. I'm watching and I'm thinking, what's the world view? What's the message? What's the symbol? So I'm kind of doing both at the same time. And so one thing to keep in mind about the alien theme is, well, I think, Zach, you probably saw it in my book, 50 Shades of Grey Aliens, which is talking about what does that even mean, alien? That's the first step is what do you even mean by that term? But let's, let's just say, okay, extraterrestrial of whatever sort, um, often that has been a stand-in. So, for example, if you look at a lot of the early Buck Rogers comics, the aliens, quote-unquote, are really Japanese. <laughs> World War II era propaganda, straight up, that they're straight-up Japanese. That's what they are. Whereas in many other movies, um, the alien might be more like a demonic figure such as um i'm trying to track down a quote right now yeah here it is the the original writer the script for alien said that a more revealing title would be the haunted spaceship he said it's about a crew of astronauts who encounters a supernatural menace okay Now, you would probably never watch the movie Alien and think that it's about that. You'd think it's about a biological entity that so happens to be very hungry, apparently. Um, And maybe they drop that original idea for what you see portrayed in the screen. But then you think about, well, does it bleed over? Um, Is it metaphor? You know, you end up just not really knowing. So that's something important to think about. But one thing about... uh, what, your cat again? <laughs> Sorry. One, th- one thing about um, alien-related movies is that, yeah, they will, of course, tend to be uh, sci-fi. And sci-fi is generally futuristic to whatever degree, which ultimately means transhuman or trans-alien. And, and transhumanism, as <laughs> as William very well knows, since we're working on a project on that, inevitably will combine high-tech, uh, evolution, and occultism. It's like inevitable that those three themes will come up, just like William mentioned two thousand 2001's The Space Odyssey. There you have evolution, unquestionably. You have high-tech, of course, right in your face. And then you have the occultism of this monolith appearing. And causing changes, right? So, it's it's inevitable that those are the three elements that are you could keep in mind as you are watching or reading sci-fi, especially alien-related movies. They will definitely manifest in some form or another.
2: Trust me. Yeah, I've actually been reading a lot about the making of Two Thousand One. It's pretty remarkable process. But uh, you know, if you read about both both Clark and Kubrick, these guys were both a in cult occult influence. They knew a lot, hanging out with the interesting people. And uh, Clark was staying at the Chelsea Hotel when he was writing it. So he was hanging around with uh, just a William, I mean, just all kinds of crazy people. It was, uh, what's the guy who, who wrote Naked Lunch? William Burroughs. So he's hanging out with William Burroughs and all these other characters at the yeah, time William. of the record 2001.
0: Yeah, the William Burroughs stuff I always find extremely annoying because, okay, for instance, we had on The Quiet Place a, a musician I've always looked up to, Bill Laswell, who came on, and he had worked a lot with William Burroughs, and he considers him some sort of prophet. He uses that word, and when I pressed him on it, he would just say, oh, it just means you know he's got his finger on the pulse of what's happening. But, you know, if you just do a you know a little bit of a glance at William Burroughs' work, his philosophical outlook, everything is inherently occultic, uh, even down to incorporating, you know, all kinds of pagan symbology, et cetera, et cetera. And now this is one thing that, you know, I, I think it's more of a thing artists have done later, but they will use – it just shows that people with occult, you know, thinkers are thinking of it this way when William Burroughs killed his wife by accident by uh you know other than shooting the apple off her head he shot her they view that as a sacrifice for his art and I mean it's it's a jump to you know go there but I don't know it's just it's crazy that all these people think in these really occult ways like they don't they don't hide it. They're just out in the open about it. Specifically, uh, who's the name comic book guy that we talked about uh, one time? William, was it Grant Morrison?
2: Alan
1: Moore
0: is yeah. one. Yeah, Alan yeah, they
2: they're, they're both. The guy, started, yeah, the guy who started X Men, too. Yeah,
0: yeah, they all, like, the crazy thing is they'll all be upfront about this stuff. And when you bring this up to people, they don't want to hear about it. And it's like, we're not making this up. This is the artists themselves talking about what they're doing. I just yeah, it kind of baffled me. The
2: X-Men symbol, the X in the circle is right out of occultism. Crowley used that symbol at the top of his seal, Babylon. I mean, it's all over the place. And that guy, I forgot his name. who started the X-Men. He was uh, hanging around in New York with Peter Lavenda because Lavenda writes about him in a, in a uh, interesting missive. He's like, yeah, we were at the Magical Child together. And that guy was sleeping with it's like sleeping with his girlfriend or something. So these guys were all fairly well connected. In that, yeah, uh, Greg,
1: Grant Morrison. Um, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable even bringing this up, but he, when one of his comic series wasn't doing very well, he encouraged his fans to have a um, wankathon. Um, <laughs> Okay, if you understand the Britishism, wankathon uh, meaning manipulating your own uh, genitalia, all right, and it was a form of a, it was a form of a magical ritual. What he was having is to, is having his fans engage in that sort of you know pseudo sexual act so that the uh, climactic release would energize the comic book and make it more popular. William knows exactly what I mean, although I'm trying to kind of <laughs> subtly swim around <laughs> all this stuff. It's a straight up uh, sex magic ritual that he encouraged his fans to to perform for, for his own benefit for the sale of his uh, comics.
2: Yeah, I'm not surprised. Not surprised. But all these guys, Moore's, heavy says half of his time is writing comics; the other half is occultism. Yeah. So these guys are like, you know, wizard level occultists, particularly Moore. And yeah, uh,
0: it's so annoying that we've let them get like such a stranglehold on culture to where people care more about them and the things that they create than they do, you know, actual theology. It baffles my mind that we got to this place and. It you know, almost makes me wish, you know, I grew up in a time that wasn't as full of media as this. I mean, growing up in a dang Puritan village may actually have been a better thing than uh, growing up in a safe, secular world that just happens to be controlled by freaking Satanists. Right. But, you know, that that's why this year is so interesting, because it's like all of that manipulation is actually reaching ahead And, you know, of course, we don't know if it's actually ahead or if it's just another blip on the, you know, just another series of events of events on the way to another big election. But uh, 2020 seems to be like a definitive final year, like a final year as in we're transitioning from one system to another system. What do you think about that? Like, You think the new normal is literally going to be a new world order normal or is that a little hyperbole
2: well i think that the whole world's going to change after this virus and definitely uh the election is very important because if joe biden wins have you ever heard him talk about come to the light he sounds like he's just reading out of a masonic handbook and he has that speech have you heard his new world order speech where he just keeps saying new world order all the time because no, i'm not familiar yeah, with that one. No, that's uh, amazing no he's uh he's a long-term corrupt politician and they're going to put the same criminals back in the office if he wins. So it'll be a horrific event for the country if he wins, I think. So right. I think for me, it's a, it's a very, very, very important election and not yeah. just outside what's happened in 2020, but I just, I mean, do you want to get let it go? I mean, wow. The sun is Here, just let me read. money, millions of dollars all the time. It's incredible. No, no, no court case. No, nothing.
1: Let me read you a quote from Alan Moore. He he says, I suppose when I was writing V for Vendetta, I would in my secret heart of hearts have thought, wouldn't it be great if these ideas actually made an impact? But when you start to see that idle fantasy intrude on the regular world, it feels like a character I created 30 years ago has somehow escaped the realm of fiction.
2: It's true. It has escaped fiction, right? All those masks, all those, uh, what's the guy's name? Guy Fox. Guy Fox mask, yeah. So yep. it did escape. No question. It's absolute weirdness.
0: I don't, it, it really is weird watching like, you know, you spend years researching conspiracy type things and you're, you always say to yourself, Oh, and they start doing the forced vaccinations, or if they start doing this, then people will rise up. So you're not always, you know, you're never worried about it. You're consuming it as a type of thought-provoking and informative educational entertainment. That's the way I've always looked at it. It's like now we're seeing it happening, and I don't know if people are going to stand up against the vaccine. Like, I I fully believe it's going to be mandatory, and just what if, you know, what happens after that, you know, anyone can speculate, but it's not playing out if, like I thought it would. I was thinking there'd be a little bit more of a boogaloo aspect, but <laughs> that's definitely not happening.
1: So what if it's not a, va- a mandatory vaccine? Okay, it's not. But then businesses and maybe even the place where you work says, okay, you can't come in here unless you verify you had your vaccine. Yep. I mean, I think that's how it's That, that bothers me. Yeah. yeah. But, well, you know, the, we live in an era when uh, a, pr- a presidential hopeful like Joe Biden has to do with uh, a pop party. What is it, B or D or whatever?
0: Wait, why what, you cut out for a second? Can you
2: hear me now? Yeah, we can. Coming in and out, We're modulating in and
1: out. Okay, how's that better?
2: Much yeah, better. it's perfect presidential
1: hopeful like Joe Biden having a big to-do with that pop star Cardi 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 or 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 whatever it is, right around the time, she puts out one of the filthiest uh, videos in terms of imagery and language, even in a time when we're supposed to be so concerned societally uh, about the the black culture in our country. She, She drops a filthy bomb on top of it, and everybody applauds it. It's like a bizarro world where we're literally living in a time where if you think of the most ridiculous thing you could imagine, it'll be in the news tomorrow. It's so
0: true. Yeah, the Cardi B stuff just gets on my nerves. And then, you know, another figure I'm very, very, very skeptical of is Kanye West. Like, I'm Mm. I'm glad Mm -hmm. for him leading people to Christianity, but there's something – are you shaving?
1: <laughs> what? I don't, I don't mind what I'm doing. You're, coming, you're yapping. You just leave me alone to do my thing. You keep talking about what are you talking about? Well, you never shaved before? Actually, have, you probably haven't. You probably don't need to shave, do you?
0: I, sadly, I only have to shave my <laughs> neck. I hate to admit that. But I cannot grow a beard.
2: What? I, have I, you ever heard of Kanye West's uh, connection to? Alejandro Yodorowski. Oh, that's
1: fascinating. I'd like to hear about it.
2: Yeah, well, he he considers Yodorowski like uh, an influence. He considers him kind of an inspiration, and he took some of Yodorowski's imagery and ad- adapted it into his stage show. So um, there was, I think it was from either... Uh, holy mountain i think it was from holy mountain he adopted some of that imagery of going up to the top of the mountain into his his uh stage shows and he's been seen with yodorowski like there's pictures of them together yodorowsky didn't know who kanye west was but uh, there's pictures of them together it's pretty interesting Yodorowski, i wrote in children of the beast that he likes to drink blood he's got all kinds of crowley like books and, and material like that and He's probably going to pop up uh, again into the culture because he tried to make Frank Herbert's Dune and it never materialized. But then Dennis Villeneuve is uh, releasing, I think, in December. So they'll probably... I think they've already actually interviewed Yodorovsky and he said, oh, I won't like it. It'll probably be trash or something like that. So he's already kind of denigrating it.
0: Jodorowsky, the one who said that... um something happened with his movie and like funding ran out and he did a thing where he willed himself to be able to get more money and like went in a room and kind of like meditated on it. And then when he went out of the room, like he ran into someone that surprisingly had the money he needed and just gave it to him. Is that the same one?
2: It might be. It sounds like something that would happen to him, but he's yeah. uh yeah, he, he was uh, – I think John Lennon was a fan and Finance's second movie. And, yeah, he's an interesting guy. There's kind of an infamous picture of him together with uh, Dennis Hopper, Kenneth Anger, and Donald Camel. They were all at some kind of art thing in the 60s. But all those guys are – that's just incredible stuff, man. They're all into the occult. Yeah, like Hopper is one I never would have thought, but yeah. – I mean, he was rumored to be an OTO, like a member of the OTO in Pasadena. And there's definitely pictures of him with Jack Parsons' wife. Like they were hmm. in a movie together called Night Tide. So. Uh,
0: we can't hear you, Ken.
2: I think it might be time to invest in a new mic. You know what? Well, you know what if you put up a it, good if you put up like a go fund me for a new mic i'll donate some money
1: okay can you hear me now
2: yes yeah. no I can't hear you now. Yeah. <sighs> go on go on well i just yeah. tell you a funny mic story like i had i was using like a, a mic and i was like it was really old and but you couldn't d- tell that it was anything different than the standard make of a microsoft neck mic so i took mine and threw it away and then my kid switched it out so i got it back not knowing it and so i knew it was broken and i kept using it like it was the new one and uh i just finally figured out something was wrong and then i i just chucked in the garbage and finally got smart but it was really aggravating i had to do I even remember who I was doing the interview with, and it just kept petering out during the interview. I had no idea what no was going on. So, so. so. When you're okay.
0: so I okay, something is happening. I don't know what was happening there. It was a, uh, I think, an <laughs> echo coming across on Ken's of William talking. I'm not really.
1: Okay. There. There at Harvard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can hear me now, right? Yes. Very well. Okay. So anyhow, I was saying that I, I did literally order a new mic like two days ago.
2: So what brand? <laughs> what brand did you get? I don't recall I, honestly,
1: but uh, I got just a mic. Anyhow, I didn't want to. There's a documentary called Yarodowski's Dune. Yes. Yeah. And that is a very, very interesting uh, documentary to watch on a. A lot of levels.
2: Yes. Yeah. Totally out, yeah. yeah, well Sometimes. he had he had all these people working for him who then turned into the alien franchise. So it was uh what was the name of his set designer? I can't remember his name now. Oh. what's the artist's name? It's uh what's the artist who drew the original alien? I don't know. Come on, guys. I can't believe his name is excuse me. Geiger. Thing. Geiger. Yeah. yeah. So it was Geiger was in that. And uh and all uh, apparently a lot of the production people went right into Alien, not just Geiger or Geiger or whatever they call him.
0: Yeah, now was Clint Eastwood, this is kind of off topic, wasn't he rumen, uh, rumored to be a Freemason? If I'm
1: I've not heard
2: mistaken. that rumor. Heard that rumor. People you have alleged that when he did that whole thing about uh Obama running for president, and he did his speech, I think, during the McCain campaign, and he drew his hand across his throat. Like that was supposed to have a little occult Masonic little messaging, to my understanding. Do you remember that?
0: Did you say Reagan?
2: No. So when McCain was running against oh, Obama, there was a, I think it was either at the convention or was one of the campaigns. Uh, Clint Eastwood gave an address, and he said something derogatory towards Obama, and drew his hand across his neck like it was a Masonic thing. So that was the reason. No, I don't remember
0: that. I gotta, at all. I, gotta I gotta,
2: I gotta go at six, so I've got twenty more minutes. Okay, that's cool.
0: Yeah, I don't know why I heard Reagan. I, I was just thinking about him because, uh, t- to me, he's an odd figure because when you get into the whole, like, government UFO thing, and if some of them believe that, you know, the UFO phenomenon is demonic and some of them believe it is extraterrestrial, he is apparently one of the ones who was, at first, had an extraterrestrial viewpoint, but when given the information, like, uh, just like J. Allen Hynek switched over to... Uh, You know, taking on the more, uh, I guess, popular among these circles, you know, demonic idea or explanation of UFOs. It's extremely off topic, but that was just, for some reason, popped into my mind. Have you ever looked into Reagan at all?
2: Wasn't there a big, like, kerfluffle about his wife having a psychic or something? Or they had some psychic relationship. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, that whole assassination was fake. Like, yeah, Bush Senior tried to off him right almost within the first year of his presidency, and had that that literal mind controlled assassin try to take a shot at him yeah, in DC. I, keep,
0: I keep thinking that, like, you know, I hope it doesn't happen, but they're aiming at Trump like so, you know, hard right now. And to be honest, I've not made up my mind if I'm on board. I'm definitely on board with his rhetoric and with what his base believes. It's just, you know, deciding whether it's legitimate or if he is just like a political pawn or something. But I I think
2: you can apply the standard Is you know, he's known by his actions. What has he done? Has he tried to do his job? You know, I I don't think that his character is great. There's nothing, not a lot commendable. But if he's doing his job compared to what our other options are i mean oh, definitely that's yeah. it so they're actually prosecuting people they're investigating no there's not a lot of payoffs you don't see a lot of corruption within his administration um so uh, to say that he's a political pawn i i just find that very hard he's not part of the republican establishment at all they all hated him they didn't want him to win they were campaigning against him all during 2016 and even for him to win the nomination was remarkable, considering what kind of people were he was competing against—Bush dynasty, all kinds of experienced politicians. Trump is very—he uh, know he, he kind of knows the political wins very well. So, uh, I was glad he won. I mean, against Hillary, somebody who's just a total nightmare monstrosity. Yeah. So, when you're in there and he's insulting these people, they literally did a soft coup. It wasn't a violent coup. But they were trying to get him out, and the entirety of the cons—I mean, the entirety of the impeachment was non-constitutional. There was not a constitutional standard by which the Constitution directs the Congress to kick somebody out of the presidency. They didn't yeah. even have a proper cause of action, so it's a total fraud. It's a joke. I'm surprised anybody on the left would even would even condone that wasteful amount of time that was used on that on the fly. But there. The left's um, propaganda is superb. They are really expert in playing the system, playing the grand, you know, organ or whatever it's called. But, I mean, they're great because they make up a fake story. Then they they promote the fake story, bullhorn the fake story. Then it gets out there's truth. And then the day after that, they say, oh, yeah, well, that's not exactly what I said. <laughs> they're like 300 times. And then the the deranged mobocracy left goes apoplectic every time they believe their own party leaders lies it's incredible it's a great dynamic but when you see it over and over again like these guys it's like a dog in the ball trick like at a certain, at a certain point you guys got to figure out you're being played so getting back to it's like the trump point yeah so um getting back to trump i mean to say i have to say that there's not i mean he's obviously a representation of his class he has a huge uh you know positivity rating within the republican party so you know i think he's serving the the wealthy interests which is you know probably part of what he wanted to do as himself but this is saying that he's bought out or anything um no it's, it's too much too much antagonism toward china and, you know, a lot of uh, actions that uh, some other people who are a lot less bold wouldn't do, like blowing away that Iranian terror general or whatever. It was pretty incredible. So, yeah. Can we hear I mean, you? Uh, Ken, can you say something? Still not yeah, sure no, that. his mic is still gone. <laughs> So You just, I'll just speak. Anyway, so... Yeah, Trump is, yeah, he's definitely, I think he's a unique unique person. I don't believe his whole kind of, I like the populist rhetoric, whether that's really the truth, you know, I, I, but bringing jobs back to the U.S. and firming up our base. I mean, this whole pandemic was a perfect example of the national weakness. We can't even make our own pharmaceuticals anymore. That's oh, yeah, place.
0: it's so horrible. It just shows you that, you know, if something's seriously bad, I mean, obviously, this is already seriously bad, but just any more of like a push and, I mean, we would be crippled as a country. It's scary to think about that. But
2: Yeah. No, it's it's not a good situation. And the people who've been in power for decades are people who let that happen on both sides of the line, Republicans and Democrats, probably because the bribery thing that the Bidens are all involved in is probably de rigueur for almost all the political leaders. They're all taken where strange cash through the family in the Clintons. I mean, it's not even funny, but, like, the, the brother suddenly owns a gold mine in Haiti and all this other stuff. So there, you know, it's uh, it's pretty incredible that the national security state in the U.S. and the legal law enforcement just lets us all slide because there's prima facie evidence of blatant corruption and criminality like off the charts, like a, anybody could see it. You don't have to be a lawyer. So...
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up, or actually two things. Uh, first off, I keep seeing this image in the uh, the cover of your book popping up a lot, and some kind of new show on Fox where they'll be talking about the West Memphis Three. I'm not familiar sure if you're familiar with that, but that might be. No, a what thing.
2: what what symbol? The kind of witch symbol? The circles with the Theban Alphabet?
0: No, or- no, just the. Uh, the cover the uh, the mugshots.
2: Oh, so the mugshots yeah, I, are in a show on HBO. You're saying?
0: No, no. There's a it's a Fox, and you know I always see that you know the iconic mugshots uh, pop up. I, I forgot what the name of it was, but I just wonder what kind of uh, direction they're going to go down with this show and what. Um,
2: Do you remember the name of the show?
0: No, and it's really making me mad. It's. Uh, is it, is, talks it, like a is it a movie. true crime? Is it
2: a true crime show?
0: Yeah, I believe it is a true crime show. It's either a true crime show or a, a mysteries type show, but uh, pretty sure it's true crime. Let's see if I can find it online.
2: Um, yeah, I, I, a lot of these guys have touched the West Memphis Three. They ignore certain stuff They're, uh, uh Mark Furman dives into West Memphis Three, and the Furman Diary is great. That's it. Furman Diaries, yes. Yeah, so Mark Furman calls it flawed from the start. New DNA awesome. evidence supported the men's innocence, which was never seen by the public. So, yeah, Furman. I should I should call him and see if he wants to come on and
0: talk to him. That would be pretty awesome to watch. The other thing is, during this whole pandemic thing, have there been any smiley face killing-related happenings, or has that all pretty much died down since...
2: Everything. It's all pretty much died down since everything got locked down. Uh, it's all died down. I think that there's been a few cases as things kind of reopened, but not many, not too many cases, thank god. So, I think that's that's kind of one of the positive, uh, positive elements of uh, this whole lockdown. But you know, as uh, the work continues. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, there's been some really incredible developments considering uh, I did a show with. Igor Sarsky about the uh, Order of Nine Angles. So there's a lot of information there. And I'll have
0: checked that out. The last thing I, or not the last thing I watched, but I was able to catch that uh, Oxygen show, the uh, Smiley Face Killer uh, little, I think it was like six-episode miniseries. I was extremely pleased with that. I think it's maybe two, uh, maybe two years old now. I don't know. No, sure. they, I
2: think they did a good job. They had the original investigators on there, Gannon and Gilbertson. They covered some of their original cases, and the newer case was uh, Dakota James out of Pittsburgh that involved Cyril Wecht. So I think they did a good job. I think they as it was produced by Blumhouse that do a lot of horror movies, if you know Blum, Blumhouse yeah. Productions. But uh, they didn't get re-signed. I think they kind of made a mistake I would say my, my chief gripe would be that they didn't show the breadth of it and the international scope of these events. And I think yeah. that is very important for the viewer to understand the enormity that these aren't just five or six people who have, you know, met their fate late at night. There's a list of hundreds and hundreds of people or men who fit this same MO. So, yeah. Uh, so I think that's a shortcoming. I tried to cover that in my documentaries. But even then, my documentaries, you know, there's only so much, so much work you can do before you do a 10-hour series. So,
0: hey, Yeah, your uh, documentary is close to that. I think the first one, first one was like three hours yeah, and the
2: second one. Yeah. You know, I was a little too much overkill. But I really, I think that at that time, the challenge was really to convince people that the phenomenon was real because they had been supposedly debunked or somebody did a, Lame job of researching and came up with nothing, or they tried to figure out Gilbertson again and are, are holding the cards close to their chest. They have tons of information, but they're not they're not sharing it with the public. But yeah. uh, you know, so that was really my intent when I made that first documentary: is really show the enormity of the of the phenomenon.
0: Yeah, I thought you did that good out or well. I, I like the overkill. I like the whole three hour documentary thing. I would like to know what exactly else it is that they don't know or that they won't reveal because they always allude to it. And I just well, wonder what could be so intense that they can't release it to the public. And I'm thinking, is it fit some kind of geopolitical thing? Or I mean, you can speculate. I, it.
2: There's a lot of speculation, but I know that they have said publicly they found other symbols symbols or symbology associated with this. So they have a broader kind of cult understanding of that. And that they have also done, kind of, or had researchers do forays into the dark web, and have found corroborating kind of information that would tie into the cases. I think they've said that publicly. I haven't seen any of that, so um, I think there is a lot more information. They probably have the lists. I know that there are amateur, you know, armchair detectives looking into this of names you've never heard who are keeping voluminous lists and following stuff because. You know, it's. I think it's just like a real mystery, and that people are really challenged by it. Like, why is this happening? Yeah. Are these victims of death? So there's a lot of, a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of knowns as well. But I do think that uh, Gannon and Gilbertson know a lot. Yeah. And people kind of come to them. Like, I've seen, I know of families who have reached out to them when these things happened. So, um, yeah. So I know that they're kind of like go-to type people. So, some people have asked me questions, or Jim Smith, but uh, yeah. So I think they have. I think they have a lot of lot of information. I think that it's interesting that the the Dakota James case uh, brought in the involvement of the FBI and the Secret Service. So why is the Secret Service involved? Because the Secret Service only has kind of a limited breadth of things to do. International issues, I think uh, counterfeit issues. So why are they sitting in on a case? We're meeting with the chief of police in Pittsburgh to talk about Dakota James. So there's yeah. a lot. some people have speculated some of these people are literally flying into the country to commit crimes and leave. And there is some things that have happened that would indicate that could be the case because, like for example, one victim, Joey LeBute, in Columbus, Ohio, he was he just he went missing um, on the night of the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic, which is like a bodybuilding classic bodybuilding competition so somebody might have flown in there knowing they were going to commit a crime and leave and uh, I think that that's very problematic and you can read about some of these stories involving international crime and the internet and uh, multi-jurisdictional criminality there's a lot of stories when you you start looking into that these guys know that they're crossing boundaries and crossing back over knowingly changing jurisdictions so it's pretty disturbing it's very scary yep well it looks like we are
0: about five minutes from six so i guess we'll add some final words i still don't think we're able to hear ken I'll he's there some... he's with
2: us in spirit i yep. can see him he's gesturing you could do, could you do some mime for us can you hear us i think so there you go um <laughs> Yeah, what do you have? Do you have anything you want to follow up with? I mean, I have documentary on a cold Hollywood. I did one 10 years ago. I have another one on Vimeo. I cover some famous directors. Jodorowsky is one of them. I cover uh, Donald Camel, Polanski, uh, Oliver Stone. A lot of people don't know about his material. So there's uh, and Kubrick as well, which uh, I... And like the next to- one? No, and this, this one. The next one, uh, <laughs> I've got some... Got some pretty interesting things i think you guys will be very interested in but uh i definitely just have to sit down and do it i've had some distractions and family things so i definitely have enough material i just have to go down and go through the grueling process of editing it but i think you guys will be very pleased with it but uh yeah so some interesting things on the horizon definitely original material definitely original stuff that nobody's seen i or really commented on. So, yeah, so I did that documentary too. That's my book. But the documentary uh, is out on that. That's, you can see Joe Biden talking about the New World Order in that documentary too. I have that clip. I should just put it up as, as a public service on YouTube. But uh, just to let people know, man, Joe Biden's a very, he's not a good person. This is a very scurrilous lifetime politician. I, I just cannot believe that he was the choice of the Democrats.
0: Yeah, and especially, I mean, I, I just keep thinking that there's some kind of psyop thing related to him being obviously mentally, like, not yeah, there. Right, right. And they're doing it anyway. Like, I know other, other people, like, I know Alex Jones is like, well, that's how they work, because you pay your dues and you get your thing. Right, well, I, I, think, I don't think that's true. Well,
2: look at it. Hillary Clinton was sick as a dog, and she went through that whole election. They like uh, picked her up on September 11th, 2016 and checked her into a modified ambulance, man. So they're just going to go through this again. I wouldn't be surprised if this guy will have doubles like she did or they're going to pump him up on drugs. Some people have seen syringe marks on the back of his hand. So they're pumping <laughs> something right into the vein that will go right to his head.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of Trump's tweet, and that was just amazing. I, I don't know if it was a tweet or like an interview where he said uh, – they're going to ask for a drug test before the debate or something.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Trump is no saint. I mean, there's a picture of him with a whole bunch of cold medicine that no normal person would have. And it's got ephedrine and stuff like that. So um, I've seen his kid too, man. I mean, have you heard the stories about Hunter Biden? Oh, my gosh. I I know
0: some people try to say he's a
2: Nephilim. (laughs) No, he's a... He's he's a mess. He's been in rehab like six times. No, the most was recent is twenty sixteen, like fairly recent. Oh well, Trump Trump might be a Nephilim. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I know one of Trump's Baron, I think the big tall one. Everyone's going on. Oh, he's got the Nephilim DNA, and of course that triggers me because I get annoyed people talking about the Nephilim.
2: But uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to the debate. Uh, yeah, Tuesday I think the debate right only, on the next thirty nine days will be very interesting. That's for sure. And one thing yeah. to Trump's credit that there's not a lot of uh, extra extrajudicial killings that were very common under Bush and Obama, sadly. So, you know, I haven't seen anybody get blown up like Michael Hastings in Hollywood or Seth Rich. So that, that's a very positive thing. Nobody will really talk about like it's like it's fake. But there's not a lot of there's not a lot of suspicious dead bodies around like there are under you know, some of these other administrations. Yep. Well, There's actually tons of dead bodies. If you look into, like, all the stuff that went down in Hollywood, incredible stuff, man, happened under uh, Obama, who I voted for in 2008. Yep. Well, it's getting down to
0: 6 o'clock there, and you said you had an out. Is there anything else left that you'd like to uh,
2: sell before we go? Nothing to sell. I mean, you can see stuff on my podcast. William Ramsey Investigates' YouTube channel. My books are available on my website, WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com. Um, I've got a bunch of articles there that I've written over the last decade. So if you're bored and want to look through some cheap, free material, you can do that. And uh, buy my I'll books.
0: I was going to say I'll shill some for Ken because he can't shield <laughs> for himself. <laughs> right, truth was-
2: truefreethinker.com. You can buy his books there. You're doing a benefit to independent authors by, by purchasing their books directly from them. So I suggest is yeah. go to www.truefreethinker, all one word, and buy some of Ken's excellent books, which I have read probably at least five and done interviews on. So you can see our interviews on YouTube. I think he also puts his up on his YouTube channel as well. Yeah,
0: eventually uh, I'm going to want to do a show with him once I get around to finishing his uh, Pop Researchers book, because we've talked about that topic quite a bit, but once I get more information, uh, we'll talk about it more in greater detail. Then we can put that topic to rest, because it's (laughs) invaded our minds and the minds of many others for too long. Uh, I'll I'll also show for him his appearance on the Kill Stream, which I (laughs) will extremely extremely pleased to see that as I am somewhat...
2: That's pretty partial. edgy, man. That's very edgy of you, Ken. I'm impressed. Yeah. I, I,
0: I'm hey, partial with some of the edgy all-right guys. Can like, you hear me at all? I'm happy with the Groyfers.
2: Hey, man. That's... Uh, I, yeah. I was, I was on Killstream, too. Very interesting, but had a good time. Enjoyed it. So I can say I've been, like, a producer for somebody who's, like, a socialist quasi... I don't even want to say with Ed. So I've covered the full... Uh, political spectrum by being on the alt right kill stream. So, <laughs> definitely, it's uh, definitely interesting.
0: Love <laughs> me some kill stream. And I guess I'll show Indie Rock Cabin. And Sunday, we're doing another quiet place as always at 7 p.m. Eastern Central Time. And I'm trying to talk everyone involved in the quiet place into doing a uh, live uh, debate coverage. Slash viewing party. Not sure if it's going to work out. Two of the people involved are on. I just got to make the main guy get on board with it. So, Jeremy, if you're listening, we all want to do it. And it looks like you're. Uh, we can hear you again, Ken. You have any final words?
1: Now you can hear me. Yeah. <sighs> so at the end of the show, I come back. great That's right. No, the- just uh, it's been a pleasure. Interesting as ever. And, yeah, I think um, everything we've been talking about uh, kind of came to a head when I was thinking about we're talking about documentaries now and how, yeah, if you look at most of the West Memphis Three documentaries, it's kind of the same thing. They're pushing a worldview, <laughs> right? Thank They're you. propagandizing. Same yes. thing. Same thing as a quote-unquote fiction movie is a quote-unquote true documentary documentary. By the way, I just checked my order. The microphone is coming in tomorrow.
2: <laughs> well, that's uh, that's good. Then you you know, you can uh, do much many more shows. Yep.
1: I, I, By the I, way, um, the kill stream allowed me to just post my portion of the show, uh, so I did that. I, I edited it down, and you know, I removed some of the uh, choice terminology. So it's easy on the ears so i put that on my youtube channel it's a riot i mean poor poor guy ethan ralph i had him face palming almost instantly <laughs> it's a riot <laughs> oh,
2: strange days man i tell you it's been <laughs> great. So you guys stay safe you know stay so safe you likewise you know maybe i'll see you in the detention camp in a year or so you never know yeah After i mean
1: you you're from- you're in california right the people in yeah, public I mean, is
2: getting crazy. It's,
1: I'm okay because I'm on the space station, so I don't have to worry about that. You're lucky. You're,
0: you're in California and you've been on the kill stream. That means they're going to round you up.
2: <laughs> oh, you believe it. <laughs> what well, okay.
1: you need to do, William, right now is say, uh, my name is William Ramsey. I'm in sound, sound mind. I have no intention of harming myself. I have a kill switch. I got, you know, all this.
2: My name is William Ramsey. <laughs> I'm of sound mind. I have no intent killing myself. If I'm found in the bathroom with a bunch of pills, some in my body and on the floor, I did not do it. Thank you. Today's date is September 25th, 2020. AD. AD, right. Not CE, not EV. Thank you. Yes, that's important,
1: actually. Yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine is the C-E-B-C-E stuff. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah,
2: different folks. folks. Guys, it was a pleasure talking to you, man. Likewise, as usual. Yeah.
0: I will end it on that. Go buy Indie Rock Cabin from Amazon and give me some money.
1: Well, you said it's because you needed some shoes, so I asked you, why don't I just send you some shoes? Get it over with.
0: I'm cool with that. (laughs) Shoes is the end goal. I don't care about selling books. It's all about shoes. Okay, I got these. How about these? What size wow, are they? Those ones? are stylish. I wear a 12. Are they, are they a 12? Whoa.
1: I don't even wear a 12.
2: Those are big feet. How tall are you, Zach? 5'10". So you're 5'10", and you have a oh. 12 shoe? Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, it's probably We're going to start calling you Zach Bigfoot, my guy. Huh? Yeah, really?
2: There they found Bigfoot right there. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> okay. Can you Except the he can't, he can't grow enough hair to pull it off his yeah. Uh Do I have your permission to rip this off of your YouTube channel and then post it on uh, my podcast? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, I'll give you. I'll give you guys credit. What should I say? Indie Rock Dinosaur Channel is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Indie Rock.
1: Or Indie Rock Dinosaur.
2: Dinosaur. Right? But
1: Zach didn't like that, so fine, whatever. Yeah, dinosaur just
0: doesn't sound right. <laughs> hopefully, we'll be getting some good shows lined up in the future if I can ever get the uh, Eo and Lutheran debate off the ground. I don't know
2: if. Well, how, now, how's this? I, would you be willing to take the, the side of Lutheran or why Lutheran or to uh, take that position? Because I could probably line somebody up to take an opposing position, orthodox or something.
0: I'm a layman. I'll, I'll have to get some other more learned individual to fill in on that. Well,
2: uh, you'll, it'll help work out your uh, principles. You'll, codify, you'll solidify and codify them by prepping for a debate.
1: Nah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Why don't we say that? Uh, if anyone has any ideas of who we got to have on as a guest, run it by us. We may, uh, we may, and we may not. But it'd be nice to know of people who might make for a potentially good guest. I certainly would love to debate the Nephilim issue with somebody. I would also like to. I, I have want a to see that. With yeah, you
0: want, you he, see well on. he won't do it, but I want to get
1: Atheists or, you know, real sci-fi he... people who talk about Nephilim as if they're, you know, theo, theological sci-fi or something. That'd be
2: great.
0: You know, the Skywatch people might be completely tired of me because I troll their Facebook, so maybe I'll make a deal with them that I'll shut up and take them on, and one of them debates. So, <laughs> Some of them get on my nerves, but well, which one, which ones? Ah, uh, mainly just the main uh, whoever runs Tom the sky, Horn, Tom Horn. social media. Tom yeah, Horn. Tom Horn. I mean, I like his stuff that's not Nephilim related. Like right, right. when he's on about transhumanism, it's perfect. But then he'll literally say Bigfoot is a Nephilim, and I'm like. What is wrong with you? You're, you're destroying your credibility and make it making it look like you've been bought out by like whoever's wanting to pump this horrible theology into the zeitgeist.
2: But oh man, I wish I could tell you guys my sky watch.
0: Oh you can. I'm gonna go ahead and end this now. I, I, I want to hear. Good evening, gentlemen.
1: We're going behind the scenes, ladies and gentlemen. God bless you all. Thank you.
2: God bless. God bless. Good night. Bye. Turn others off.